Hello there and welcome to episode 31 of the Hawthorns Debate Club. My name is Jamie Clay and I am joined every week by two gentlemen to have a few conversations and discussions about West Bromwich Albion. So let me start by saying a warm hello to my good friend Alex Collins. Hello. And hello to my little brother Joe Clay. Hello. So, it is 2022. Christmas has been and gone. We've been away for a while. Each of us has been battling COVID. And consequently, I feel like I'm carrying a bit of rust into today's podcast. But let me say, Happy New Year. Or is it? Question mark. Because supporting West Brom at the moment feels like drowning in a cocktail of heart-wrenching emotions. The unexpected excitement of a star-spangled signing shaken up with the horror of another desperate home performance then take all of that and mash it into an overwhelming sense of anger at EFL officials and yes let's say it once again the familiar sound of meltdown has returned to the Hawthorns see off the back of a defeat against bottom of the league derby and our most recent snooze fest performance which saw a struggle against the struggling cardiff side in a game result and performance that has been overshadowed by a post-match scrap and the question i guess is on most people's minds at the moment how much rope has val got but before we get to the misery and the questions and the answers. Let me say a huge thank you for downloading and listening to the podcast. Please feel free to share the podcast with people you treasure and love and with people you don't treasure and don't love as well. Engineer situations in your life to get the podcast to as many ears as possible. We are grateful for every person who listens to this and it is a new year and we're so excited about what this year has ahead for the podcast and we hope you have a blessed 2022 as well. So on this week's episode, we will be discussing the Cardiff game. We'll dabble very, very briefly with the time machine and head back to the Derby game before heading to the transfer market, which has thrown up a bit of a, a real surprise to start off the year before previewing our FA Cup game against Brighton. So let's start off the podcast this week by talking about the Cardiff game. My goodness, the Cardiff game how forgettable, how dull, how dry, how brutal a watch it was. Not a game for the neutrals and not much of a game for anyone who enjoys football as a sport or as a product of the entertainment variety. Possibly one of the hardest watches, particularly the first half I've ever had to endure as an Albion fan. It finished one all. Cardiff took the lead in the first half. Robinson got us a goal back very early on in the second half. And for a split second, it looked like Albion might take all three points. Alex Moat was sent off a straight red card for a tackle on the sideline. And then the 10 men really didn't produce anything extra that would have pushed us over the line to get the three points. And then there was an incident at the very end, which kind of overshadowed everything, as we've already alluded to, where it looks like kind of Townsend is pulled down in the box. It looks like a stonewall penalty. And then within seconds, the final whistle has gone and the Hawthorns imploded in one of the most hostile atmospheres I've ever experienced at the Hawthorns where it genuinely felt like people wanted to lynch the referee. And one of those people was Valerian Ishmael, who was restrained by Jake Livermore. And then there was a big kerfuffle that saw Sam Johnson and Aidan Flint. Is it Aidan or Adrian Flint? I think it's not Aidan, isn't it? Aidan, yeah. It's not Adrian Aidan Flint. (laughs) Samuel Johnston, also 
um, were sent off for that kind of clash. Basically, it seemed like everyone wanted to stay in the ground just to boo the referee. But overall, that incident aside, this was a bad, bad, bad performance against low-level competition, a team that we beat comfortably towards the start of the season. A lot of vitriol after this game, especially on social media, which... Perhaps isn't always the best gauge, but it just seemed to be everyone was fed up of this performance. What did you both make of the game? It's hard to talk about, isn't it, really? Because there was, there's nothing really much happened. It didn't really get started for the Albion. I think Cardiff probably did well at closing us down at, at points, keeping us out to the wings, making us take shots, pot shots, which we're used to. And that was it. And we go into the second half. The Robinson goal was 100% offside, but he finished it well. That was the first finish he's done well for a while. And it was nice to see him finish his dinner for once but that was it really the most talking points as you've said was the sending offs the one in the game and more importantly the two after the game it, that was what most people were talking about not the game and it was just yeah it was a poor game I don't know what you think about it, Alex when I saw the lineup released I thought really happy with this lineup you know he's playing a couple of youngsters fellows and Taylor Gardner Hickman you know he looks like he's mixing things up a little bit you know he's dropping players like Furlong who hasn't really been performing lately as well as he can he dropped Ian Garner as well he didn't have a great game against Derby and so I was, I was really looking forward to the game I was going to watch it at home I sat down after a lovely Christmas New Year like feet up ready to watch it and not like, get stuck into a good game of football but after about 15 minutes my enthusiasm dwindled you know I just lost interest I, I got very bored of it. It was the same old stuff, really. Um, there was just no fight. Livermore and Moat were driving me nuts in the middle, just really frustrating me. Just couldn't hit a barn door. Again, like we were just having shots, but nothing coming of them. I really think that we should play a different formation going forward, more like Liverpool or even Brighton. I was doing the notes earlier, and I noticed Brighton play 3-5-2, and I think we should do that kind of thing as well. We're playing too defensive at the moment. We're not a threat bit disappointed in the results you know we've got to be beating teams like that you know the last few weeks we haven't got the results that we need if we consider ourselves a promotion contender I don't think there's any greater cause for concern at West Brom than Alex has lost enthusiasm because Alex the king of positivity particularly around Valerian Ishmael. There should be like alarm bells going off at the training ground when they hear this. This is big news like Because ultimately, that performance against Cardiff, like you say, the team selection was interesting. Fellows coming in was nice to see another exciting youth prospect from the academy. TGH, TJ for short, back in. All of these things are kind of ticking the boxes. But I think we said it on this podcast before. I'm not sure that the problem that Albion experienced on a week-to-week basis, going back as far as kind of more or less September, is a team selection issue. This isn't a find the correct configuration of players that need to be plugged into these positions and all of a sudden we've got a world beater on our hands. This is a problem with the tactical setup of the team. And I think you're right to say, Alex, it's not necessarily who plays, but where they play. That looks like it needs to be the problem. I find it very difficult to criticise the players. I really do. I think like Moa and Livermore both clearly struggled in this game. I think that's fair to say. But I'm not sure what they expected to do. They are two a two-man midfield in a system that seems to want to bypass them at every single particular point. I think, Alex, you said on our WhatsApp group, you'd like to see them offer themselves for passes from the defence more regularly. Is that fair? 
Yeah, absolutely. I, I just don't think there's enough energy in them both. Uh, I really do think they need to be they need to be more movement. They need to open themselves up for more passes and for the defence because at the moment the defence are just lumping it. I need to you know act as that bridge. I think that the issue that you've got there is I don't think the defence are lumping it forward because they've got no passes on. I think they're lumping it forward by design. This is how Val wants to play. You see the ball will travel across the back line to the wingers. They have no nothing material in front of them. Connor Townsend will have Carl and Grant playing in front of him and TGH had fellows playing in front of him. It's almost at the moment like we're playing with two wingers on either side and the centre forward, whoever it is, Jordan Hugel, it has been, Callum Robinson in this game, is so isolated, it's beggar's belief. But then with reference to Livermore and Moet specifically, the reason I don't think they offer themselves a pass is, is that the tactic that Valishmael wants to play is this long ball from the back and then win the second ball, essentially. So it doesn't matter if your player doesn't beat these colossal giant defenders that Cardiff had and Matt Clark chips the ball forward 40 yards. Our attackers were never going to win the headers. So Moa and Livermore have to be advanced to win the second ball. Otherwise, there is nothing happening with Valerian Ishmael's system. If they are in the middle of the park or drop deep to receive a pass from the centre-backs, then all they've got, the only option they've got is to play it long. But then there's no one at all to win the second ball. And so that's the issue that you have. And that's why I can't understand what are Livermore and Moe actually expected to do. If they come and receive the ball deep, they're stuffed because there's no one ahead of them apart from Robinson and he's 50 yards away. If they don't offer for a pass, the ball goes over the heads anyway and they're scrapping for drabs in the middle of the park when they're outnumbered you're totally right we've got great players in that team and they're not paying to their full potential but like you mentioned in there livermore Moet, they're playing like two other center backs just higher up the pitch so it's like we've got five center backs and then just an attacking so there is no midfield makes no sense at all the formation it's like every other manager kind of tinkers around with it a little bit maybe move two center forwards up or, you know, move it around, around the striker or put another midfielder in. But he doesn't do anything. He doesn't even tinker. And it's crazy. It's prehistoric type of football. Everyone knows what you're going to do. It's not forward thinking, is it? Well, we said it very early on, didn't we? I mean, we said it months ago. It's like the definition of insanity. Reproducing the same test, but expecting a different result. That's what Einstein said. I feel like you could summarise Val's whole philosophy up as, if you play the ball long enough during that game, eventually you'll win the ball close enough to their goal that you'll have an opportunity to shoot. That is all it is. Can I just say, like, I think where you say, like, insanity is repeating a test, expecting a different result. I think there's something in that, in a sense that that there's a fine line between genius and insanity. And I think in order to become a genius, you have got to be become very good at doing that test, if that makes sense. And, you know, you perfect the test to create a better result. That's how I would sort of twist that kind of argument a bit. But like you're saying, Al, I understand what you're saying. It's, it's one thing trying to do something well and refine something. But you, you usually do that when it's producing something of a success, when something is concretely failing every single time. And I'm not talking about Albina struggling against rivals and teams around us. From the last four games against teams in the bottom five, we've taken four points. 
which is absolutely insane. It's so ridiculous that there is no willingness whatsoever to deviate from this pattern of play that is so predictable, that is so ineffective, that, as Joe says, doesn't utilise any of the talents of our players. I genuinely think the only reason Albion are scoring goals is in spite of Val. It's not because of him at all. In fact, the goal comes from a passage of play where we start to move it around the floor. It's nothing to do with Val ball. And all of a sudden, there's a, a through ball from Carl and Grant and we're through and goal. And if we're being honest, like it shouldn't have counted anyway. I've been watching Albion now for like 30 years. I'm really struggling to think of a manager that I've been less impressed with than Valerian Ishmael. I think the football we play is absolutely shocking it's hard to watch it's boring me and dad were sat there and we we're in the woodman corner and we were getting rained on a little bit and i was like i was freezing i was like what am i doing here what why have i paid to come and watch this this is rubbish you've got to think about the managers looking at art football and think it's literally just so easy man united have had ralph ragnick come in he plays a gag impressing type of style of football and there was an interview with is it bruno Lager. leg Lager. Lager. He rips apart Ralph Ragnick's gag impressing straight away. And he goes, I just looked at the space, looked at the previous games and looked at the space. Luke Shaw is always on the inside. And that's what we did. He made it sound so simple that it didn't take much time. It's literally, you know, like uh, last uh, couple of seasons ago, the Bielsa gate with Derby, where he was watching them training. No one needs to do that with us. There's no Bielsa gate going on at ours. They could listen to our podcast, to be honest. And they'd be able to beat Albion. Albion haven't done anything different since Peterborough. Watching the Albion, how we, I'm watching the exact same thing happen week in, week out. The ball passed around the back and then lumped long and nothing happened. And, and like I said earlier, it's not that other teams that we're playing are just high quality teams. We're talking about teams that are at the bottom of the league that are struggling to pick up points regularly, that are getting smashed by other sides. Like Cardiff played some good football in that game. If you were saying who was moving the ball around better on the day, you'd say Cardiff. Because all we did, I think we had about three half-decent shots in the game, and one of them was a goal, and, and it was offside. And the other, the only two shots I can remember is Carlin Grant flashed one wide, and Callum Robinson had a really good shot. But again, it's from 25 yards. I, I mean, I don't know what to make of it. I'm, I know the voices of discontent are out there already, and it's kind of a growing wave now of valor out and mm. I've got to be honest I'm, I'm just I'm, I'm more even more resolutely there now I know we had that brief interlude with the Reading and Coventry game but I am I'm utterly convinced that with this guy at the helm it's, it's not even the case that we're getting results anymore we're not even getting the results we're not getting performances and we're not getting results so I, he can go as far as I'm concerned I think it's two wins in nine that he's got which is and, dreadful isn't it it's, and how many is... goals have we scored in that period yeah, yeah I've got to admit I lost enthusiasm after the Barnes the result. So if you remember the last podcast, I think I was quite downbeat. But the more I think about it, I mean, the last two results have not been good enough. If we if we want to go automatic, but I do want to give Ishmael at least this transfer window to try and stamp his philosophy or get his players in. I mean, I, I'm quite happy that he's brought in Taylor Gardner, Hickman, Tom Fellows. Like, the youngsters look like they're getting a shot, which I think is really good. I do think Ishmael has lost a bit of enthusiasm, but I'm really encouraged by the fact lie came over recently and I reckon they've had good conversations I don't want to eat the sandwiches that we save for later but you know signing DK as well like I'm, it just shows a sign of intent I think things will get better and I hope I'm right 
I hope you're right as well, Alex. I really do. I don't want Val to not succeed. I want him to be successful. I think he's he's hamstringing himself by this stubborn streak that we've been describing over this last few weeks. Like, I agree with the fact that Taylor Garden-Hickman's come in and Tom Fellows. That's exciting to me. But the problem is, is that when they're in this system, you don't see the best of these players. I felt so sorry for Tom Fellows. I mean, he didn't get any chance to show him whatsoever. He had a couple of opportunities where the ball was lumped long to him. He's up against, like I say, these titans, these ancient Greek gods that Cardiff have at the back line. He just didn't stand a chance. And the biggest telltale for me about why that system is so ineffective was that when we went down to 10 men, and the really interesting thing for me after Moet goes off is that we were forced into changing formation the same way in previous games we've been forced into changes. Val's system has to kind of give way because of external pressure. And this dropping us down to 10 men, we actually started to play a little bit better, in my opinion. Dean Garner went up front and Dean Garner suddenly looked like we were playing a lot better. I just think it's it's painful to talk about. I think we should move on, to be honest. Should we talk about the commotion at the end? Yeah, we can. I do have a, a little bit of a conspiracy theory, if you'll indulge me at this point in the podcast. Obviously, it all kicked off. Val runs out from his dugout to kind of like what I can only presume is attack the referee. And I genuinely think this kind of this passion that Val has, this aggression that was shown in that moment, I honestly reckon he was creating a scene so that that moment would overshadow the game as if that was the reason we lost, that this referee had orchestrated this kind of moment so that Albion would be, the three points would be snatched away from us. And I think he thinks if I rush out here and make a big scene of this, people will forget the fact that we're awful and that I set up teams to play a terrible brand of football. And I think Val, I think Val milked that moment. To be honest, I tend to agree. I think him and the referee uh, overshadowed the whole game and it probably needed overshadowing because it was such a terrible game. But that's not passion. In the end of the day, he's lost all discipline on the pitch. We've had many players sent off in the last few games. Over the last 10 games, we probably had about four or five players sent off. And that shows he hasn't got discipline. In the end of the day, the referees make mistakes all the time, but he shouldn't be running onto the pitch because he made that commotion a lot more than it was. I want him out. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> Did it, I agree with you, Joe. It don't sound like his role modelling very well, does he? But at the same time, I think there's so much pent-up angst in him. I think he's just so annoyed at the way things are happening at the moment. You know, when he first came in, he seemed like he was well up for it and like getting involved in everything. And But I do think there's a bit of anger in him at the moment. You know, I think it seeped out in that game. Interesting comments that came out after the game. I know all of the drama of Val. And like I say, we've had plenty enough of a depressing conversation around this. It was interesting that the Cardiff manager came out and said that it was a stonewall penalty. But I think we've got to do our best to not let that paper over the cracks of what was a really, really terrible performance. I think it's something we've said in previous podcasts again, like I cannot describe how bad the atmosphere was in the the ground, especially during the first half and then at full time, obviously because of this huge flare up. But I've just got to imagine what the dressing room is like. I cannot imagine the players that we have are happy playing the way we are. We've spoke about it like, and we will speak about it a bit more, like obviously Daryl DK was introduced at half time. I wonder what he's thinking. Like, 
this football is awful. It's hard to watch. And so I imagine that if you're a player like Callum Robinson or Carlin Grant or even Alex Mowat, even though he's kind of like the champion of Valerian Ishmael on the pitch, you've got to be thinking to yourself, this is anti-football. This is, like, say, at the very, very generous use of the word longborn. I think early on, people kind of, the more early adopter critics were saying, like, it's very much like Pulis ball. I'm starting to feel like that's desperately unfair on Tony Pulis, because at least with Pulis, you could kind of understand the philosophy, because for the bulk of it, we were playing against premiership sides. Val's football is against some of the poorest championship sides I've, I've, I've seen in recent memory, and he's making them look like they're the elegant tiki-taka Barcelona, Circa, Pep Guardiola, Messi and Xavi and all of these. And we're these kind of punt merchants. It's, it just feels like for everything that I thought Valerian Ishmael was going to bring to the club in terms of long-term vision, identity, exciting attacking football, I feel like it's been one of the most biggest disappointments it may be long term but the identity is just it's just awful it's terrible football i'm so over watching this terrible football how happy a note (laughs) it's interesting coming away from that match so many of the conversation now is val in val out and i guess even on this podcast there's a bit of a divide in terms of should val stay should val go most people understand that the fact that he's got a four-year contract kind of gives him a lot of rope but i guess the question for me is how much rope has val got i think he's got a lot a lot of rope that boy got a lot of rope sadly i think he has I think Rome wasn't built in a day. I think you do need a bit of consistency. It's a big picture approach. You know, you've got to take the rough with the smooth. It's long-term strategic thinking from guacamole. <laughs> but, but Rome couldn't get relegated or promoted. To be fair, Joe, a good comeback would have been Rome was destroyed in a day, which I think it was. If Rome were in the playoff picture this season... Do you think they'd have a better chance of promotion with Valerian Ishmael in charge or one of their emperors? I think Ishmael would take Caesar's hat off or his leaves around his head and then he'd eat them, just in protest. So basically, Valerian Ishmael is the kind of a modern-day Julius Caesar. That's what we've established. Anyway, let's, let's hop in the time machine. Everyone get in. I'll shut the door behind us, please. What did your last save die of? Falling out the time machine. Being an Albion fan. (laughs) You can die of that. You can die of that. It's chronic. Chronic uh, Ishmaelism. Mate. Let's quickly talk about the Derby game. Obviously, the Derby game was a while ago now. It wasn't actually that long ago. It was only 10 days ago, but we haven't been back since. Really briefly... Let's talk about this one. It finished 1-0 to Derby. Mix up between Cedric Kipre and Sam Johnston and the ball kind of lands at the feet of Kazim Richards, who had literally, I think he'd been on the pitch, what, like a minute or something, and he, he, he just follows it into an empty net or plays it into an empty net. And Alvin didn't have really, in my opinion, any great, deal of chances in this match in fact I think Rooney looked like the better manager of the two it looked like Derby was set up really well played some decent football and the game finished 1-0 to Derby bottom of the table Derby you say bottom of the table Derby they didn't have the 21 deduction they'd be on 32 points only 10 points behind us now and they had no real first team footballers at the start of the season 
I think when people describe bottom of the league derby as bottom of the league, it, it's just obviously they are bottom of the league, but they were so written off at the start of this season. Know, they yeah. weren't even qualifying them as a championship side because the vast majority of their players were like kids, literal kids. And they had Wayne Rooney, who has many off the field issues as he does kind of minutes as a manager. And yet he's able to get a tune out of his band, his orchestra, more so than seemingly Valerian Ishmael can do with some of, in my opinion, the best players in the league. He's been incredible. You know, they played well. They'd be eight points off the playoffs now with a team who didn't have first team players, did they? And they had to go around looking for people who were on freeze. And he's he's got a tune out of all these players. There's not much else to say about the, the game. Derby played well and they deserved it really, didn't they? I think they did, yeah. It was the Rooney factor, wasn't it? I think Rooney was like brilliant. What a great manager. He's got a bright future ahead of him. I mm-hmm. think if Benitez doesn't improve things at Everton, I can see him slipping in the door there. You know, the, the stats tell a different story in this game. We absolutely annihilated them. Like looking at the stats earlier, we had 61.2% possession. We had 19 shots, four, five on target. They only had three shots against us one of them on target and obviously one goal. How we lost that game is beyond me. You know, it doesn't add up for me. I'm just really hoping that this new signing that we've made is can really turn things around. Because stats are bull crap. As long it's as it, like, it's, it's, it's that standard thing where everyone says... Oh, Joe's microphone st- volume's going up, everyone. Be scared. Cover your ears. <laughs> it's just, yeah, you know, know, it's we're just... not supposed to debate on this podcast. No, no. It's the goal scored and that's it. That's, that's the last thing. I don't care. No one's going to look at, let's say, derby match at the end of the season and say, oh, we played really well. We lost. We lost. We didn't score the goals. And that's it. And that's what Valerian Ishmael's tenure is going to be based on. Oh, yeah, we had loads of shots. Did we win many of them? Where I'm coming from, though, Joe, is I reckon that we've got the stats on our side. If we can capitalise on those stats, let's face it, it would be a lot worse if the stats were against us and we were doing rubbish. The stats suggest that there's something that once it clicks, it can go right. I think, in my opinion, I don't just want to throw out stats altogether. I think that you've just got to be careful about how you interpret the stats. Stats can be inflated and deflated by different things. We had a big discussion about XG a few weeks ago on this podcast. I think it's a really useful statistic, but it can be inflated purely by just a large volume of shots. And I think that's what Albion do. We, we have a large volume of shots. And it's that quantity versus quality kind of argument. Steve Maidley wrote an article in The Athletic a few weeks ago about how many shots we have versus how many chances we create. And the shots vastly disproportionately outnumber the number of chances we create because, in truth, we don't create many stonewall chances If you take the Cardiff game, for example, I think we perhaps created maybe from open play at one half chance. There was no real goal threatening situations. Like in fact, and in fact, the only, like I said, the only goal we scored was offside against Derby. It's a while ago now and the time machine always leaves me feeling a little bit foggy when we travel so far back, but I can't remember any stonewall chances the Robinson chance, Joe, is typed in all capitals, my ad, in lieu of shouting in our ears. Robinson's chance, you want to elaborate on Robinson's chance, Joe? Which wasn't a chance, he's now qualified. Do you want to just come in and speak? People are saying that it was a chance, but it wasn't a chance. It was like, <laughs> it was outside the box, you know, like there was... Is this against Cardiff? Are, no, this was against Derby. I don't class that as a chance. 
he'd have done very well to score that goal. You know, like he'd have to be in a, a perler to score that. How many shots would you have to have for it to go in? Albion would have to have about 500. <laughs> well, that's literally what you're describing there, Alex, is the percentage likelihood of an opportunity resulting in a goal is exactly what XG is. That reminds me, Jamie Lloyd. The commentator said West Brom have got the worst goal against expected goals or XG in the, the football league, like in all leagues. Again, and that apparently, apparently we should have scored 11 goals more than we have or something like that, which is and, ridiculous. And it is. I don't, I don't dispute that we aren't scoring enough goals, but... I do think you can inflate XG by just taking loads and loads and loads of shots. Even if they're low quality shots, eventually it adds up and your XG does go above one. And so, for example, if you have 16 shots in a game, but they're all kind of 0.1, so 10% chance of it going in. If you have 16 of them, you've got 1.6 goals, expected goals all of a sudden. But realistically, those chances of those going in were only 10% each. This is a maths problem now. Essentially, what XG is, is thousands and thousands of shots that have been taken from different positions all around the pitch. And the percentage chance of those shots going in, that's it. So, for example, a penalty gives you 0.75 XG because 75% of the time people score penalties. That's why I find XG helpful because it's not just based on opinion. It's based on history and kind of data. It's not just like arbitrary. There's another statistic that's really interesting. There's a goal that Harry Kane scored last year for Tottenham and it was like some like 0.01 XG. But then what happened was as soon as he took the shot, you get another statistic called post-shot XG because Harry Kane hit the shot so well, there was a 0.1 chance he could score from where he was. But after the shot is taken, it went up to something like 80% because 80% of the time, a shot of that quality will go in. So there are statistics that you can use, but then you're getting into a really kind of high-level detail data analysis. Now, the truth is you can cry a lot about statistics, but I guarantee Valerian Ishmael, Pep Guardiola, Jurgen Klopp, they have got an entire staff of data analysts because they place a lot of value on it because they are ultimately people who want to know as much information as possible as they can to coach and develop their players into kind of the teams that they're trying to mould. And, and I think, yeah, XG isn't the be-all and end-all shots on or any kind of statistic you can use isn't kind of comprehensive and all informative. It's just some another tool in your arsenal to understand your team. It- I just think, for me, it's not the whole picture. It's just a slice of the truth of history of football. And I don't like when, let's say, Valerian Ishmael did mention it in some of his press conferences, where he mentions it, it gives Valerian Ishmael a way out of being... Yeah, I know you're saying it enables him to create a false narrative around the way we've played. But that's where I think that's why your eyes watching the game are so important. Because you can just say, well, that's nonsense. Like, we didn't look like a team that absolutely was peppering their goal all game. We had a couple of shots that went miles wide, but that's it. So I think you can use common sense as well. You don't just have to listen to what it says, which is very interesting because one of the big talking points that came out of the Derby game was Valerian Ishmael's comments because he kind of seemingly threw the players under the bus, which is kind of more or less the first time he's done that. What did you guys make of that? I quite enjoyed it. (laughs) I do think it's, there's a lot of truth in what he was saying. Like I, do, I don't think the players have, have committed as much 
to things as they should have. I was quite impressed that he had the cahoots to come out and say, you know, these players, they're not... Because I don't think they are. I really don't. I think Livermore and Moat, they really do need to push themselves a bit more. I don't think they're doing it at the moment. Or I, I don't I, think I, I they're know in the what, right headspace. But I want to know what else you should they should be doing. I, I don't understand what more you could do as two men versus... I don't understand. Just lacking but... quality, Jamie. Like there was a chance that sticks with me against Cardiff, where Livermore he tried to control the ball, and the ball like bounced off his foot, and it went about five meters in front of him. Whereas if he'd controlled it and it save it just went a meter or two, then he could be in a, a position where he could either shoot, potentially score, or pass it to somebody. But it's just really like poor quality. They don't try and influence the game. They, they don't try and do anything, which really hurts me. I think, <laughs> I think the like if that's going to be labelled at anyone though, you could label it against Callum Robinson, Dean Garner, Carlin Grant miscontrols the ball, the amount of passes that Callum Robinson just doesn't reach their f- man. There's so many examples of Callum Robinson misplacing passes over the last five or six game. It beggars belief. Dean Garner running down avenues and losing the ball without really any kind of great pressure from the defenders. I mean, if you look at all of these players, you can kind of pick out elements of all their games where they're clearly struggling. I just want to go back to Ishmael calling out the players because I just think it's it's nonsense. It's a way out for Ishmael. In the end of the day, they're all culpable. Players not playing well on the day. Players not playing well for a few games. But he's the one in charge of that team. You know, he's the one who's supposed to build up the morale. He's already said that the captain's always going to play. These things will feed into the players' behaviours, their attitude, their attitude on the pitch. When you drop in youngsters who are playing better than the senior players, all this contributes. And then he's calling out the players on the day. I just think it's wrong. I think he's allowed to call out the players, don't get me wrong. But it's not like we played well for ages. We've been playing bad for a long time. And we had two games where we played all right. But this Derby game was no difference to the Cardiff game recently. I just think this game was a weird one to call out. The bigger problem with what he said for me was we played well against... Coventry and Reading and all of the players who'd kind of excelled he dropped and put his players back in and then that was the game he said these players aren't playing for me well the truth be told then mate these are the players you put in in the positions of the players who'd really impressed like Taylor Gardner Hickman you dropped him that's your responsibility and now you're calling out the players that you put in can I just say, though, I think that's a really brave thing for Ishmael to do because there's two ways that that can go. Isn't there? He can either lose the dressing room or it can spur him on. And I genuinely thought for the Cardiff game, at the start of the game, before we conceded, I did think the players did show a bit more gusto, a bit more drive. Um, I think we were quite unlucky. Um, In the first half of the ahead. Cardiff game? Well, it was very... I know what you mean. The first half of the Cardiff game was very... That's the uh, worst performance I've seen Albion in, like, three decades of watching Albion. (laughs) I did think think there was a bit more kind of energy going into the game, though, at least. I do think, like, the first 10, 15 minutes, I did think that we showed a bit of energy and a bit of kind of hang on. You know, we're looking quite up for it here. But then it just kind of petered out as the time went on, and then they managed to score, and then... After that, we were just chasing, uh, you know, an equaliser rather than trying to win the game, which is, Mm. you know, but I do think it was a very brave thing for Ishmael to do. And I quite like bravery in in manager. I'd hate for somebody to just sit on the fence and with a performance 
like that against Derby or Barnsley. You know, I quite like that he's, he's willing to put his neck on the line and say, you know, hang on, boys, this isn't good enough. Rustling the feathers. <laughs> I think it's the opposite. I think it's cowardice. I think it's not taking personal responsibility for decisions he made for team selections and tactics that he set up and basically passing the book, blaming other people when realistically the brave thing to do would be to take responsibility and say, I picked the team, I set them up the way they're going to play and it didn't work. It's on me, this one. And so I think to say it's someone else's fault is complete cowardice. I can't, in my eyes, it's just, it lacks bravery. It lacks kind of honesty. And I looked at the team, they played awful against Cardiff, but I didn't watch them walk off at halftime thinking they haven't tried. I, I didn't think they weren't trying. I just think the way we're set up to play is so awful. They're trying to implement something that just doesn't come naturally to them. And like I say, I think Valerian Ishmael successfully made us less than the sum of our parts. One of the things that I guess we don't do too much of on the Hawthorne Debate Club is debate. So that's been a bit of an interesting journey through those couple of games. We're going to head away from the Derby game Yeah, we do, Jamie. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to jump back into the time machine now. And we're going to bring ourselves back up to the present day. Right. We've been talking for absolutely ages about two games that really don't warrant much conversation. Nevertheless, emotions are high. People are angry. If you need, take a few calming deep breaths right now to get yourself back on a level. We at the Hawthorns Debate Club, we like to be calm, restorative people who bring peace and like a gentle ambience to your life. So allow yourself to kind of become more meditative. Is that a word? Yes, Jamie, yeah. I, I believe it is uh, to be meditative. That sounds good to like get into a yoga position or something. Do you have any yoga positions that you might suggest to us, Joe? Downward dog. Interesting, Al. Sun worship. Excellent, thank you. And the dragon, the rising dragon. That can be the yoga position that you adopt for me. Let's move on to some news and get out of this cocktail of misery that the Albion are forcing us to drink at the moment. Brilliant news in terms of Taylor Garden-Hickman. He has signed a long-term contract and it was on his birthday until 2026. But perhaps the biggest news and the most exciting news was news that we were all greeted with on New Year's Day. It was Saturday, correct? And on the evening, we saw pictures emerge of our new American hero riding across the Atlantic on an eagle, a bald eagle, with the stars and stripes fluttering behind him, landing at the Hawthorne's training ground. Daryl DK signed our number one target for the transfer window, the one that was kind of at the top of everyone's wish list. The striker, the number nine, young, talented, athletic, scores goals more of a natural finisher than perhaps we've got at the club presently. And he arrives on the first day of the transfer window. Christmas had come either a little bit late or extraordinarily early for Albion fans with Daryl BK signing up. Guys, what do, I mean, we've already spoke about it a little bit, but this really was completely unexpected. I think we need Alex to break down details of our player. Joe, just follow me into my corner. This is um, for new listeners of the show. Alex has a corner dedicated 
to research on Wikipedia. He signed for the West Bromwich Albion club on uh, the 1st of January, which is a statement of intent from Guacam Lai. It was an undisclosed fee, believed to be around £8 million. He's on a 4.5-year contract, which takes him up to the summer of 2026, which is the same summer that Taylor Gardner-Hickman's contract runs up to, incidentally. He's six foot and two inches. Is he really? He looks bigger than that. Yeah. Well, that is quite big, you know, six foot two. I don't think he needs to stand on anybody's shoulders to see a show. <laughs> He's 21 years old, which I that surprised me, to be honest with you. I thought he looked a lot older. 21, he's still like a young'un. You know, he's got plenty of life in him yet. Plenty he's of meat left for the grinder. Yeah. But he's, he scored 11 goals in 19 MLS appearances last season. He scored nine goals in 19 for Barnsley. So that's approximately one goal every other game, which is, you know, it's nothing to be uh, laughed at. So, yeah, so that concludes my uh, my research on Daryl DK. Let me say, Alex, first and foremost, I feel much more informed after visiting your corner so i do appreciate that it is just based in truth and fact and data and evidence and whatnot joe what did you make of the signing of six foot two 21 year old mls sensation daryl dk i'm very very happy um he doesn't have to score all the goals he doesn't have to be the full answer if he's that connection between them who can actually hold the ball up for about five seconds till everyone else gets there and then he'll be all right (laughs) Do you think that he is now the one-size-fits-all solution to all of Albion's problems? Because obviously that's what he's been brought in for. After the Cardiff game, Ishmael's post-match interview, he actually specifically referenced, this is why we've brought Daryl DK in. Is he coming in as this messianic Superman figure now that's going to mean all of our problems disappear overnight? The problem with... Yeah, he is. (laughs) Just go out. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Yeah. <laughs> now I think he's going to be the key. What's the key called that opens all the doors? The master the key. key. Now there's another name for it. There's a name for a key, and it's like an animal name. <laughs> I've got to Google it. Let me just let me just find it. Maybe this will tie into what is Daryl DK's spirit animal? A Yale key. <laughs> <laughs> Yale. What type of animal a is it? Skeleton Yale? key. A skeleton, skeleton key. Oh, skeleton okay, that's key. True, yeah. So I so reckon he's... he's going to be the skeleton key, and I reckon that he'll score goals, but I also think that he will be foil for the the wingers, the, the quality wingers that we've got in our team. You know, like Robinson, Grant, Dean Garner. I think they've scored goals in the past, and they've, they've they're like sleeping giants at the moment. And I reckon DK can come in with his skeleton key and unlock their potential. The problem with that, the key to unlock everything, your skeleton key. You know, like these players who get signed for really high fees, you know, like when Torres came in and there's so much pressure on him and it's like Fabio Silva for Wolves. I think this is very similar to having a high fee. There's a lot of pressure on DK to to score the goals that we need. Mm. And I think if he doesn't hit the... Ball, you know, what, what is it? Hit the ground running. If he doesn't the hit the ball running, <laughs> hit the ground running. I think at the moment, with all the negativity around Valerian Ishmael, I think it might turn into a bit of a upset time. You know, like I don't want to get on his back. He's a good striker. He's seen that, as uh, Alex told us. He's a good master skeleton. Joe, very, very quickly, 
before our time runs out here, do you have a spirit animal for Oklahoma legend Daryl DK? I looked up very cheaply. I looked up species from Oklahoma and uh, the groundhog. People would know it as the woodchuck. And apparently it's very strong. And I think he's strong. So that's all I'm going for. He's strong and it's from Oklahoma. How much wood would a woodchucker cut if a woodchucker could chop wood? That's the thing, isn't it? That's the old saying. Well, thank you, Joe, for finding the spirit animal for Daryl Deco. I'm sure he'll appreciate being labelled as a groundhog. I like this signing. I was really excited when it first came in. I love how excited he seems to be to join the club. He seems to be absolutely buzzing. All of his social media stuff is about how excited he is to get started. I think he fits the profile for the type of player we need. I don't think he's the one-size-fits-all solution at all. I think we have a creativity problem, first and foremost. And I think one of the problems that I see with this whole idea that he's going to link up the front three, uh, and I think it's something you said, Al, that these two players that we have on the wing, Callum Robinson and Carlin Grant, or whoever the other two players are going to be, is that, in my opinion, they shouldn't be on the wings it should be Townsend and Taylor Gardner-Hickman. They're on the wings in this formation. And the issue has become recently two wingers on either side, which is the most bonkers formation because it shouldn't work like that 3-4-3. Three, three. In my opinion, they should be more central, more narrow to come and support the striker. I don't think having Daryl DK fixes that. So I, I wouldn't expect him to hit the ground running, really. I really don't. I think... As you say, Joe, it's almost like this unfair expectation on him that he's going to be scoring the same amount of goals as Mitrovic or Ben Berrett and Diaz. And I, and I just don't think that's going to happen. And I, but I don't think it will be his fault either. I'm excited about him. I'm glad he's here for the long haul. Interesting reports that have come out since, though, because obviously Daryl DK was one of the people on a, a list of players that Albion were looking at. One of the other big names that we mentioned a couple of weeks ago was OK Kushlu. Joe Chapman has since come out and said for the Birmingham Mail that Albion are in a sell-to-buy position now, that players need to go out before players can come in. Um, and speaking of such, Snodgrass has joined, it looks like he's joining Birmingham to the end of the season. Has that now been confirmed? I didn't see anything saying it's been confirmed. I don't know if Joe knows otherwise. Joe is hiding oh. presently. And shouts no from a distance. Hopefully you heard that audience. Um, it's not been confirmed, but it looks like in all likelihood, Snodgrass will be joining Birmingham on loan to the end of the season, which is coincidentally when his contract expires. So it looks like we're paying blues to, to look after Snodgrass for us for a bit. But it looks like players like Zahore and Johnston uh, probably will need to be shifted out of the club before we go on to buy anyone else. Speaking of Yakushlu, though, Fulham are reportedly interested in him and have made contacts with Celtic Vigo over a potential move for Yakushlu. In my opinion, Albion should be moving heaven and earth to get Yakushlu back in the door. Would you see him as a kind of low priority or what do you think? I think he is low priority. I think we should be looking. I know you mentioned a previous episode that he does link up that attacker to midfield, but I think we should be looking for that, you know, playmaker that we haven't got in the team at the moment. Because Val doesn't want them. Val hates creativity. What's that? Did I hear? Did I hear creativity bot shuffling around in the cupboard? Go back. Yeah. Creativity bot, we don't need you. All I want to do is to serve, assist, and provide opportunities for people to score goals. 
go back to when she came from, Val Ishmael cries out. Creativity bot does not feel appreciated. Well, <laughs> we are sorry to hear that, creativity bot. But as it presently stands, Val Ishmael has no use for you whatsoever. But who my mind is just blown. <laughs> but what I think is um, interesting is that we don't need creativity bot, but we do need Neil Taylor, apparently. 30-year-old immortal Neil Taylor, who me and Joe were both shocked to find out that he's only 30 years old because it seems that he's been around for 75 years. He's not his photo. <laughs> He is 32. Well, that makes all the sense in the world then. But we've been linked with him, potential left back backup, I can only imagine. In other news, Jamie Andrews has been loaned out to Leamington for a month. And Semi Ajayi has somehow found himself into the Nigeria team. And I'm really pleased for Semi Ajayi because I just don't feel like he's really had much of a, a fair chance under Valerian Ishmael. I always thought he was a really good defender. I love the pace that he brought to a back line, but he's off to the AFCON to represent Nigeria. So best of luck to Semi Ajayi out there. Uh, and I really hope he has a great tournament. Let's move on to our game preview for the FA Cup, the magic of the FA Cup. The third round is here. I do like the FA Cup third round. I can't lie, audience. I'm a big believer in the magic of the cup. We are going up against Brighton and Hove Albion. I'm going to hand it over to Alex here, who's going to run us through the facts of this competition. Over to your corner, Al. Okay. So the game is on Saturday the 8th of January at 3 o'clock sharp. Brighton Hove Albion, also known as the Seagulls. Jamie, what noise does a seagull make? They're currently ninth in the Premier League table. It's no mean feat. Is that the right expression? In terms of stats, they've played 19, they've won six, drawn nine, lost four. So they haven't lost many with a minus two goal difference. Joe, would you like to enlighten us with the uh, human of spirits? I've got some famous people from Brighton. So there's Fat Boy Slim. I'm going to let you choose this. Fat Boy Slim, Nick Cave, Chris Eubank, Kate Blanchett, Steve Coogan, and there's many more. But I'm going to let you pick out of those. I'm going to vote Coogan. I'm loving Fat Boy Slim at the moment, Norman Cook. So according to whoscored.com, a website that we think is brilliant and if they want to sponsor us you know please do get in touch so the style is 352 they like long shots short passes they attack down the left they play with a lot of width and they like to rotate the squad uh, the strengths include comeback kings and protecting the lead so that always sends shivers down my spine when they like to come back but also protect leads as <laughs> yeah, well. yeah. Um, they like stealing the ball as well, which is a bit cliche, uh, hopefully not at the end of the game. The weaknesses include finishing, defending long shots and defending counter-attacks. The manager is Graham Potter, who I believe had a stint at the Albion. You two might know more. You do. Your history is better than mine. Yes, back in the day. Uh, uh, top goal scorer is uh, Malpay with seven goals. Uh, top assist is Moda and Wepu uh, with three assists. And the star man is a Bissouma with a rating of 7.13. And he looks like a really good player, that Bissouma. I don't think it'll be long until he's snapped up by one of the bigger clubs. Very, very, very informative. Thank you for that, Alex. Any kind of thoughts and feelings about the FA Cup? Does it stir up magical feelings, emotions inside either of you? 
Joe is stunned into silence. What I remember from the FA Cup, really, in my youth, is when we got to the semi-finals against Portsmouth, wasn't it? Yeah. And uh, Milan Barros handballed it into the, uh, the goal. He and did. And we went out. And we probably would have gone on to win that because, it, was it Millwall Cardiff won it? No, no, oh, Portsmouth sure. won it that year. Yeah, and it, I think it was a, a lesser team in the final. But yeah, I think we'll play a stronger team than we played in the League Cup. Maybe play the, the likes of Fellows, you know, and maybe... We might see DK. He has mentioned that he's not going to bring him in. But he may bring him on for 10 minutes if he's trying to do this pre-season. But I think they will batter us because they play very good football. I watched uh, the highlights of them against Everton. Beautiful football. And yeah, I just don't think we're going to be in this one. I think it's going to be a 2-0, 3-0 type of job to Brighton. It was Portsmouth versus Cardiff City in the 2008 World uh, World Cup final. That's right. You heard it right. <laughs> <laughs> I remember Canoe playing in that game and he, he didn't do us any favours, did he? Al, your predictions for this game? I think these sorts of games are really difficult to predict because you don't know what teams are going to be played. I think if Brighton play a lot of the fringe players and we play a lot of the fringe players... Brighton are probably going to win. Brighton play a lot of the fringe players. We play a few more first-team players. We've got a chance. <laughs> I just love Joe's expression then. He's like, you're having a laugh, mate. <laughs> when we play our full team against Derby's team, we don't win. <laughs> it's true. It's true. I've got my rose-tinted glasses on. But um, no, I, I, I do think they'll beat us, to be honest with you. Just hopefully we can put up a fight and we don't get annihilated. Score? 3-0 Albion, Dean Garner, Hattrick. No, I'm, I'm changing. I'm having a new lease of life now. After uh, I said after the new year, I'd change my tone. I reckon we'll win. We'll wow. win 2-1. I am going to go ahead and agree with both of what you're saying. I, I think it's going to be a desperately difficult game. I think teams like Brighton, who can hold on to possession, who can... We've got plenty of pace in the side who have got ball winners like Yves Suma and players like this and then legitimate quality up front. I think they're just going to revel in playing against an Albion side that looks to play the way we tried to play, long ball with pressing. I think they have the ability to pass through any press we apply and put the ball into the spaces behind the defenders with like consistency. Um, same way Arsenal did. I would be shocked if we keep this to less than three against Brighton. I think it will be 3 nil at a minimum. Uh, I can't see a scoring. Right. Well, it's been a long one today, boys, and we've covered a lot of territory, covered a lot of ground, covered and covered a lot of ground as well. There was even points at which we debated. There were some emotions. No, there weren't. Some crossed opinions, some crossed wires. But I feel like we've all grown, we've all developed. We're all better people now than we were at the start. Would you agree? I can see Joe's got a, like a weird kind of glimmer in his eye now after that conversation. Yeah. He's got murder on his mind. Well, all that remains for me to say is a big thank you to Alex. Cheers. <laughs> a big thank you to Joe. Cheers. Thank you to everyone who is listening still. We hope that we come back with more exciting news in the next few weeks. But we will see you soon. Sweet dreams.